On George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, we're looking at a counterculture classic and the film that snagged George Kennedy is Oscar. It's Cool Hand Luke from 1967. Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to the always wonderful George Kennedy. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the mullet-haired Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? How you doing there, Doug? <laughs> How's it going over there, dog? Up there in that candy door. I bet you freezing your bubs off up there. <laughs> Liam, you're trying to do some sort of funny voice here on this show here today. You think you're a clever boy over there? <laughs> Imagine if we just did that for like 90 minutes. I, no, I can't, actually. I watched George Kennedy do it for whatever minutes, and I can't believe he did that. And um, it was a beloved character that everyone yeah. enjoyed and won him an no, Academy and, Award. And guess what? It is a beloved character. I just know, I have to know, someone somewhere when this movie came out watched that and went, what's this guy's accent he's doing right now? What's this accent he's doing in this movie? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Honey, we don't sound like that, do we? <laughs> it's just, it's it's a choice. And like any choice, it's better if you stick with it. And he fucking nails it. He never gives up on it. And it made me happy. Liam, I discovered just, uh, I think you may have even mentioned it on our most recent episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. This is your first viewing of Cool Hand Luke, which is yep. very interesting to me. I want to get your perspective when we talk about the movie proper, but joining us on this journey, as always, uh, in this sometimes baffling journey in the career of George <laughs> Kennedy, is the wonderful Sarah Jane. Sarah, how are you today? I am good. Do how the voice, you? Sarah. I, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared. I would have practiced. <laughs> I've been doing it all day, much to my wife's chagrin. And when I say chagrin, I mean I think she's going to stab me if I do it one more time. <laughs> Long-suffering poor wife. I, you know, if, she, if you guys ever come to Austin, I will take her out exclusively for a drink. No, I'm kidding. I'll take you too. No, it's okay. <laughs> she deserves it. It's fine. Uh, Sarah, this is not your first time with Cool Hand Luke, I, I understand. It is not, but I can only verify that I've actually seen it twice. This last, I mean, yesterday I watched it, and that, I believe, was my second time. So it's pretty fresh for me, too. That's good. That's very good. It is a movie I feel sticks with you pretty well. Uh, it's a movie I've seen probably four or five times over the years. It is one that I return to. This is an era of film that I particularly have an affinity for. And it is a lot of that anti-authoritarian streak that exists in a lot of it. And that's something we're going to talk about when we talk about the movie proper. But I thought... Since this is kind of like a cut the shit moment, right? We've been watching a lot of movies of varying quality, even if the George Kennedy performances in them tend to be, well, usually pretty darn good. But this is the movie which made George Kennedy. You know, he was like a guy who was in the army for years and years and years, came out of it, was a... Uh, 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 he was like a military advisor on Sergeant Bilko, started doing small roles on TV, built himself up. This is it. This is the peak. And you can even hear it in his Oscar acceptance speech, which we'll actually listen to in just a second. I should ask you, Liam, you do have that ready to go, do you? Oh, yes. All right, that's good to hear. So before we get into talking about Cool Hand Luke, we're actually going to jump the gun a little bit and talk about what it led to, which, as I've already mentioned, is the Oscar win for one Mr. George Kennedy. We're going to talk about his acceptance of Best Supporting Actor and who he was up against. I want to get your uh, both of your uh, kind of uh, response to, uh, to this. It's a pretty stacked category. Uh, for Best Supporting Actor, this is the 1968 Academy Awards for the 1967 film season. The nominated actors for Best Supporting Actor are Michael J. Pollard for Bonnie and Clyde, Cecil Kellaway for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Gene Hackman for Bonnie and Clyde, the great John Cassavetes for The Dirty Dozen, which also features, of course, George Kennedy, featuring soon on George Kennedy's My Co-Pilot, and the winner, George Kennedy, 
for Cool Hand Luke as the character of Dragline. The 40th Academy Awards for the year of 1967, uh, it, it actually aired on TV on April 10th, 1968, because of the assassination of Martin Luther King. It actually was delayed several days, and it's probably a good thing that it was, I mean, for all sorts of reasons, but also because several actors were not going to be able to attend the April 8th uh, broadcast if, if it was held on that particular day. Want to get your take, both of you, starting with you, Sarah. First, your thoughts on what George Kennedy was up against in this category, and your thoughts on the Academy Awards generally. Um, as you said, that was a stacked cast. And um, just looking at the clip of, um, sorry, I just went blank. Just looking at the clip that we looked at for the acceptance speech, it also uh, had the nominees in there. And um, I was like, man, that is like, those are some powerhouse performances. I think probably, <clears throat> I don't know if George Kennedy was the, um, like the man to beat there. I mean, it was a great performance, but I don't know, cause I wasn't alive at the time to know if that, if he was like the odds on favorite, because maybe Hackman and Pollard who were great in Bonnie and Clyde kind of canceled each other out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Cassavetes is great in, in Dirty Dozen, but again, I, I guess, probably Kennedy has the most flashy performance. It, yeah. That's maybe not the right word, but I mean, that's, you know, it's a super memorable performance and he does great. Um, in terms of the Academy Awards, just in general, um, first of all, I hate Bob Hope and I'm glad that he, uh, well, he's dead, so he can't host anymore, but I Sarah's, was Sarah's mentioning uh, Mr. Bob Hope because Bob Hope was the host of this Academy Awards. <laughs> and in the clip that we will, of course, include in the show notes as well, uh, we do have a bit of Bob Hope's comedy that, boy, it goes over like a lead balloon, I would say, Sarah. <laughs> there, is, there is no comedy there. Um, it's, he was like such an asshole to poor Patty Duke. I was like, she should just punch him. Anyway, um, so I like the Academy Awards. I mean, I've always liked films. So even as a kid, I would sit with my mom and we would we would watch um, the show. Um, Liam and I were talking before the show. And, um, you know, I like them, but uh, I don't know. There's some issues. Uh, yeah. So it, I don't get upset when things... Um, Movies I like, win or lose. Although I guess I might get upset if it's not nominated. It's like, yeah. what? You know, but I, I just think of the Academy in general as morons <laughs> who only watch, you know, like very few things and they just click a box like, oh, well, I heard this was really good. And so, you know, they always have that article that's like, it, they're anonymous, but people yeah, will comment absolutely. about what they, and they're just like, oh, I didn't watch this. And, you know, it's just, it just proves that they're morons. So, <laughs> there you, there you go. I have very similar feelings. I think as long as you don't take the Academy Awards too seriously, the pomp and circumstance and the flash of it all can be a lot of fun to take in. But it is, it can be very, very frustrating to watch, uh, especially because, as you mentioned, there are those interviews with the Academy voters who see, it seems like universally they are weird, <laughs> just bizarre, like their whole approach to the, uh, to, to their, to their job here uh, seems to be very strange and very, uh, uh, I would say misguided in a lot of ways. Liam, we talked about the Academy Awards at length on an episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, where we talked about the episode, sorry, the uh, Academy Awards where Eric Roberts was nominated. But so you've already kind of given your thoughts on the Academy Award generally. What do you think about this uh, category here? What do you think about some of these actors that George Kennedy, the great George Kennedy, was stacked against? Um, I mean, I, so I haven't seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, so I don't really have a take. You uh, son of a bitch. I just haven't, um, but I, I have seen Bonnie and Clyde, and I think um, both of those performances are standout. But uh, you know, I got to say, Sarah Jane might have a point when you've got two strong performances in the same movie. Mm -hmm. Is that hard for people to choose between? Whereas, and that's not to say that there aren't strong performances in fucking uh, Cool Hand Luke, but they're not all nominated, right? He's 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 the one. And what's more, although I, I will say it's been a long time since I've seen The Dirty Dozen, so I don't know that my memory of John Cassavetes' performance is reliable. But I don't think any of these. To me, the George Kennedy performance, it shares, it has two aspects that are, I think what you want when you want to win a category like this. It is um, 
strange enough to be memorable. Sure. But me but it also has meaningful content. He's not a he's not a fucking uh uh punchline, right? Yes. The, the, he's not just I got an accent, I'm a big man, and that's it. You know, like he's given a lot to do and he's an important part of the movie and he adds a lot to this narrative. Uh, you know, in, in a very real sense, he's like uh He's maybe like a, a Peter character, but we can talk about that later. Um, Ooh, but, I see. But, uh, but I think that the whole thing is that in this category, the fact that he's both doing this interesting, memorable performance and also it's like actual content, it might set him apart. But honestly... If you ask me, like, okay, well, what's John Cassavetti's character like in The Dirty Dozen? I got, no, I know he's in it. I can see his face in it. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I saw well, the movie. Well, you will, Liam, when we watch The Dirty Dozen. I've been sure. watching The yes. Dirty Dozen. I think I watched it three times in the last six months. So I've seen it a lot recently. Wow. Why and did Cassavetti's, you watch it that many times? Because I love it, and it's on Turner Classic uh, Movies okay, all the time. Okay, okay. <laughs> see, I, think I, that, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have... Whenever I tell people I watched a million movies and then now I never watch anything over and over again, like I'm always like, oh, I saw that a hundred times. People are always surprised. It's just cable, right? Like if I had access to cable, there are a ton of movies that I'd be like, oh, yeah, this. And I just watch it. Now I almost never choose movies that I'm familiar with when I'm choosing a movie. I just don't because there's so many things I haven't seen yet that I'm always choosing some shit that either I'm going to love or hate, but it's always something new. And I, I haven't been someone who rewatches things for a long time unless it's for a podcast like this. <laughs> if, I, uh, if I'm watching TV and The Dirty Dozen is coming on or is on, I will watch it right up until the point where they go on their mission, which is still like a, a movie's length watch. Right, yes. Uh, and it's not that I don't like the mission stuff. It's just that I don't enjoy it as much as all the training stuff, all the team building stuff. And I think what – one of the things that both of you were kind of, um, you know, you were referring to directly was the fact that all of these movies, of uh, these Best Supporting Actor movies, uh, including Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but particularly Bonnie and Clyde and The Dirty Dozen, and of course Cool Hand Luke, are ensemble movies. But one right. of the things that George Kennedy is able to do in Cool Hand Luke is it's an ensemble for the whole thing, but then it, it culminates in Paul Newman and George Kennedy, right? Yeah. Those are the two that you're going to take away from it. And not uh, coincidentally, both of them were nominated for Academy Awards here. Uh, and both of them are terrific. We'll talk about their performances, not just George Kennedy, uh, in just a little bit as well. I want to talk a little bit about this clip in a little more detail. Sarah's already referred to the fact that she didn't care much for Bob Hope's introduction. Bob Hope, uh, <laughs> Bob Hope introduces Patty Duke, who then, uh, she, you know, she lists the nominees and then the award goes to George Kennedy. The, the banter before an award and all that horseshit, I know it's a cliche at this point about how bad it is, but it is just unbelievably poor in any context, but I find it fascinating, right? Because like Bob Hope, I think, I can't remember how many times he hosted the Academy Awards, but it was a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And like he is thought of as one of the great hosts of the of, of, of like award shows generally and boy you see him here and he's just dying like everything he says just goes out to silence it's like he, he it's like he, he had angered someone earlier and they were like we're gonna take it out on him now uh but it is very interesting to see the other thing i wanted to mention by the way is you see those movies that are nominated bonnie and clyde the graduate cool hand luke dirty dozen i mean you're talking about a sea change i mean these movies i always mm -hmm. feel like that you know people talk about how when it comes to musical trends like they, if you talk about '80s and '90s music, that the '80s don't end at the end of 1989; that it'll continue right up until like 1991. In, in for me, the '70s start in like 1968, right? <laughs> 67, 68. The movies that we're talking about here—that's when the '70s style of movie kind of kicks into gear. And one of the funny things is watching Cool Hand Luke and seeing both uh, Luke Askew and Dennis Hopper in it, and knowing that a couple years later they're going to make Easy Rider and yeah. I mean change everything again. I'm already getting ahead of myself. Liam, how bad was the uh, introduction to this Academy Award win? Bad. I mean, are we going to play the – I feel like if, if – the, if the clip we're going to play only has George Kennedy's uh, winning and the speech. I, I didn't leave in the horse shit because we'd be here too long talking about are it. But we're sure? talking about it right now. Are you sure? Yeah. It, okay. it does because I watched it today and it has the introduction in there. Oh, Ye of little faith. Okay, that, that's the, fine. The, right. the MP3 I sent over, uh, the, the video, oh, yes, had the full thing. Right. The MP3 is only the part with the George Kennedy. If I'm wrong, may <laughs> someone strike me down, Leah. Um, yeah, no, Bob Hope sucks, and he's all, <laughs> he sucked the whole time. He never didn't suck. And this particular... His doctor says, Liam, that he can't see uh, Valley of the Dolls because it'll get his heart rate going because of uh, all that uh, lascivious and... Uh, <sighs> 
explicit. He didn't even say that. He just said my doctor can't uh, won't let me. Yeah. And neither will my wife. Neither will his he, wife. Wah, wah. <laughs> and then he gave like a little side look at her, like, I'm judging you and you're gonna go to hell. So you've had to do it's, it's it's an actress. It's not like she was, yeah. you know. I mean, this is, was, I, I don't know. this is what's so funny to me, Doug, is that you keep highlighting how he makes this joke and no one laughs. If people had laughed, then I would be like, guys, can you believe this fucked up clip where people <laughs> laughed at this joke? Do you think they were high? What do, what do we think was going on where people laughed at Bob Hope? Like, I just, you know, I'm sure at some point in his career, he made a funny joke, right? Like a no. broken clock twice a day. Like it, it, there has to be some time when something he said was kind of funny, but like I've never seen anything that I thought was particularly charming or funny. And this clip, I was like, oh, get this motherfucker out of here. Like what is going on? <laughs> it, it's a tough gig. I mean, let's give him let's give him a little bit of leeway. No. I mean, terrible jokes, but it's a tough gig. Like everyone no. dies up there. Let him and um, died up there. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Letterman, but you know, NBC, I don't know what Bob Hope had on NBC, but they would give him like a special, I don't know, like That's three right. times a year. They were never funny. He was never funny when he was on The Tonight Show. I believe he would like co-host The Tonight Show and he was never funny. I, uh, Yeah. I like him in the Road 2 movies that I've seen. Uh, he has a certain charm as an actor when someone else is doing his lines, and I guess he's well-known for like ad-libbing. You know what? This is not the Bob Hope roast. This is George Kennedy as my co-pilot. <laughs> a podcast devoted to the wonderful George Kennedy. And with that in mind, Liam, let's hear George Kennedy's acceptance <laughs> speech. Don't worry, listeners. Very short, very to the point. Let's listen. The next award is very unusual. It's well, for best what supporting the fuck, actor. Liam? <laughs> Buddy, I, buddy, I tried to tell you, but you were so certain that I just let it go. But no, it's the whole fucking thing, man. You didn't. That edit can't shit. be right. Hold on a second. Where's this MP3? Wait, I'm gonna play it right now for myself. No, you're exactly right. <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't have the heart when you were making this point about how right you were to be like, actually, Doug, we already listened to it before you came on, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, but we'll just let it play and see what happens. We're going to let it play, but we're only I'm only going to leave the part in the episode which has the speech, okay? Yeah. Because... Okay. For best performance by an actor in a supporting role, we of the Academy have nominated... John Cassavetes for his role in The Dirty Dozen, Gene Hackman in Bonnie and Clyde, Cecil Calloway in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Michael J. Pollard in Bonnie and Clyde, and George Kennedy in Cool Hand Luke. The winner is George Kennedy in Cool Hand Luke. Let me paint the picture. The crowd's going wild. They love it. They love George Kennedy winning this wonderful award. Let's hear what he has to say. <laughs> Encore. I could bust. I have to thank Stuart Rosenberg for giving me the opportunity to even be here. And I must simply thank the Academy for the greatest moment of my life. Thank you. That's how you do it. That is how you do it. Yeah, that's it. Don't, don't, I mean, who, who needs to be thanked? Doesn't need to thank Paul Newman or, you know, the writer of the script or anything. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, director, thanks. I am, but I mean, he seemed overwhelmed. I mean, that, that's not even how George Kennedy usually sounds, right? I mean, he, he sounded choked up. And I mean, you see those photos of him afterwards holding that award. You could, he has the biggest fucking smile on his face. By yeah. the way, if you go out in front of a bunch of people and say, like, this is like the happiest you've ever been, or this is like, the greatest moment of your life, then you better not have someone who's like, what about when you got married? What about when you had your first kid? All that sort of shit. But no, he was putting it out there. Liam, what'd you think of that speech? I mean, it's utterly charming. It's, you know, yeah. a lot a lot of what we've watched 
has involved him being some version of a of a of a strong man, you know, mm-hmm. whatever whatever sort of thing that is. And so I don't know that we've gotten to see him be so uh I don't know, just like charmingly like, oh my god, I can't believe it. Like that's so cute. I don't know. I I, I found it to be very charming and I didn't need a big old speech and I kind of wish more people would just say like something very heartfelt and then and then let us move on with our lives. Hit it and quit. I agree. <laughs> yeah, some good stuff there from from George Kennedy. It's also funny, like, because we, I imagine that you're like me, that you watch the movie and then you watch this, and just because his character is such a defined character with that voice and that presence, then seeing him being kind of like, ah, shucks, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird to see him. He, in, he is very you know, soft-spoken. Yeah, very much so. What do you think of that speech, Sarah? Um, I thought it it was great. By the way, the person that was clapping the loudest, according to what I was watching earlier in that clip, was Paul Newman. Yeah, Paul Newman loved it. Um, Probably because he thought this was a good sign to him winning Best Actor (laughs) afterwards. Spoiler alert, he did not win. Um, (laughs) After I watched that, I said uh, to my husband, you know, Kennedy gets up, he doesn't turn around, he doesn't kiss. I'm not sure if that's his wife next to him or a daughter, I'm not sure who it is. Didn't acknowledge anyone, Paul Newman, no one. He just got up, got his award, didn't have the endless thank you to my agent, thank you to every single PR company, none of that. Just, you know, he got it, he's happy, and he walks off. It's perfect. George was on his second wife at the time that he won this. He was married to Norma Warman between 1959 and 1971. But uh, no, I guess she did not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did not rate a mention in his acceptance speech hey look a lot of things can change when you're not expected to win and maybe he just sure. wasn't um, yeah and he, he definitely looks surprised in it i love it i think it's so great i'm glad that uh, our listeners got a chance to check it out as well but now we need to find out why the heck did this man get an academy award it's for the movie cool hand luke we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to talk all about it we'll be right back <laughs> She ain't got nothing but, nothing but one safety pin holding that thing on. Come on, safety pin. Pop. Come on, baby, pop. Hey, Lord, whatever I've done, don't strike me blind for another couple of minutes. My Lucille. Little Lucille, boy, where'd you get that? Lucille, you motherhead. Anything so innocent and built like that just gotta be named Lucille. Rub it, baby. Clean that car. Rub it. Exactly what she's doing. She's driving us crazy and loving every minute of it. Shut your mouth about my Lucille. A laid back Southern man is sentenced to two years in a rural prison, but refuses to conform. That's 1967's Cool Hand Luke, directed by Stuart Rosenberg, the man that George Kennedy thanked in his acceptance speech. Uh, Stuart Rosenberg, of course, a, a very well known director, director of the Amityville Horror from 1979, Voyage of the Dan from 1976, and Liam, the Pope of Greenwich Village from 1984. And that will not be the only connection to Eric Roberts that we will have on this episode today. Uh, in in uh, 1992, Rosenberg, who has since passed away, became a teacher at the American Film Institute. Among his students were Todd Field, Darren Aronofsky, Mark Waters, Scott Silver, Doug Ellen, and Rob Schmidt. Uh, after he passed away, uh, several films were actually dedicated to him, including. Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, featuring Mickey Rourke, who gave George, who gave Eric Roberts the fucking man its name. Liam, the connections, they, uh, they, they, they just keep on going and going. Uh, this film was written by Don Pierce, also based on a book 
uh, by Don Pierce. Don Pierce actually was a merchant seaman who later became a counterfeiter and safecracker. Kulan Luke was about his experiences in work camps that are very similar. A lot of the characters that we see in it are either based on himself or people that he encountered in those work camps. Um, and uh, it was co-written by Frank Pearson, who wrote Dog Day Afternoon, Presumed Innocent, and King of the Gypsies, Liam, with Eric Roberts. My God, it all comes back to Eric Roberts. He is the Rosetta Stone. The cast is unbelievably deep. Paul Newman, of course, as uh, Luke himself, Lucas Luke Jackson. George Kennedy, as we've already mentioned, Strother Martin. Uh, Joe Van Fleet, uh, Lucas Skew, as I've already mentioned, Clifton James. Lots of familiar faces all the way down. Dennis Hopper, Harry Dean Stanton, Anthony Zerby. Joe Don Baker makes a quick appearance. Soundtrack by the great Lalo Schifrin. This is something I think I mentioned on the most recent episode. If I didn't, I apologize, listeners. But uh, And just to take it once more, for the final time, back to our podcast, Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. I did not realize that on when we uh, go into the news break, for those who haven't listened, to Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, I used a piece of music that to me was just, uh, it sounded like evening news. That's all I picked it for, is it sounded like the evening news. That piece of music is a piece of music by Lalo Schifrin from this movie, which was then taken and used for the ABC Evening News for like decades. And that is why I was, in my brain it was so connected with it. But I'll tell you, watching uh, Cool Hand Luke uh, recently on Turner Classic Movies and having the news theme from Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man pop up, it was very confusing. But uh, we saw an interview clip by Lalo Schifrin. He seemed very pleased that it was then used for the Evening News because he laughed all the way to the bank. Liam, this was your first time watching Cool Hand Luke. Sarah, this is your first time in quite a while, it sounds. I'm very curious about both of your responses, but I got to start with Liam in this case. Liam, what did you think of Cool Hand Luke? I really liked it, which I feel like is the least interesting thing you can say about Cool Hand Luke uh, in the sense that... And maybe this Are you a, being a mullet head again over there, Liam? Well, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know if, if this is your experience, right? But Cool Hand Luke is a movie that other people have been telling me about. Sure. For as long as I've cared about movies, right? If if I'm in a conversation with other people who are into movies, and uh, you know, people start talking about you know maybe not their favorite movies of all time, but movies that they like from a certain era or movies by with certain actors in it, um, this movie comes up a lot. It it came up a lot for me at a certain time in my life. And I kept thinking I need to watch it. You know, one reason I think I need to watch it, I needed to watch it, was that there was a time before I really dove into watching older movies where I didn't understand who Paul Newman was. Right. right? And I knew because my mom is a little bit older and she uh, isn't a huge pop culture person, but definitely cares about film from a certain time period. And so I'd, I, you know, I'd say like, I don't understand this salad dressing guy. And she would let me know, like, this, this is a very, this guy was a big deal. He's a big actor. Lots of people love him. He's in this, that, and the other. And, um, I think she's a big fan of this movie, although I'd Mm. have to check back in with her because let's get her on the podcast. Oh, sure. I don't mind. Mm -hmm. Um, we did, but we, we don't, we didn't talk about movies a lot. My mom, wasn't a huge movie person, but there was a few things that she really cared about. And I know one of his films she does love, but I don't remember if it's this one or something else. (laughs) Point is, uh, he was just a name. And so I did eventually watch some Paul Newman movies, but I had not gotten to this one. And there was no reason for that. There was no reason for me not to get here. So honestly, I think I'd be more excited if I was like, deeply in love this is the greatest movie i've ever seen or if i fucking hated it we're gonna have a fight right now about how (laughs) this movie's a piece of shit but like that's not how i felt at all it was really good i do think um if you had asked me going in like hey liam this is an anti-authoritarian movie from 1967 that a lot of people connected with in 1967 um what are some of your predictions one of my predictions would have been oh there's probably a christ figure (laughs) because <laughs> the number one thing about art in the 60s is that everyone going around saying that God is dead is immediately looking for another Messiah. And all of these movies, I say all, that's not really true, but there's a ton of sure. uh, movies and pieces of art made by people who would have been like, I don't know, I think religion is over. And then before you know it, they got a fucking Christ figure. And this guy, not only is it a Christ figure, 
uh, you you know, Doug, Sarah Jane, you may not know this, but you know, I went to seminary, and uh, in, in seminary, I learned, <laughs> I, I you know, there's a lot of different voices for a certain kind of political theologian, right? If you made Paul Newman not white, this wouldn't just be a Christ figure. This basically is Jesus. Like, there's a whole school of theology that's like, I mean, this is just what Jesus did, right? He just was a a, a guy who was oppressed for his beliefs and he died and then after he died a bunch of people were like that seemed pretty cool we should tell people about that that's all they boiled it down that's a whole school there's people who probably wrote their doctorates about how cool hand luke is like a, a model of political theology although they would have been uncomfortable with how white the movie is so um you know watching it i just thought that that was the one thing where i was kind of like oh here we go all right yep i, I could have seen this coming all right here here it is but other than that I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was surprised, but I was like uh, very happy with the fact that this is a well-written, uh, well-directed, beautifully acted movie that I found enjoyable all the way through. And while the ending is that kind of ending that um, wants to be more melancholy than sad, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. Um, and sometimes I think people don't like that. It, it, I, I think there's a pe- person who could view this movie and maybe think the ending is cheating a little bit, you know, but I, I didn't feel that way, but I could see it. Like watching it, I thought, okay, this works for me, but I could see where someone maybe thinks that like, even with the tragedy of it, it's still maybe pulling its punch a little bit, but I, I don't know. I that's not for, That's not an argument for me to make because this kind of a – sort of melancholy ending this is right up my alley doug this yeah. is like my this yeah. is my chocolate chip cookie to a certain extent <laughs> that, it's also that, necessary right for like yeah. i mean to 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 finalize it put a big rubber stamp on that christ figure you got to have it in like this to a certain yeah. extent yeah i mean it's really the the period is really him telling them about it later but even still the sacrifice of it all and being in the church it's all very sort of there but you know that being said as much as i felt like it was a little predictable that that might happen i didn't feel like it was as heavy-handed as it could be it's still kind of a light reference and it's not a cent- it's not like if you don't see that the movie doesn't work for you right the movie still works and i think it's still a story that matters um i'm sure there's other complicated things to think about but i think overall i just was like very pleased with what I thought was a very well done film. Liam, there's been a lot of Christ figures in films, but sure. I've never seen a Christ figure eat that many hard boiled eggs before. Well, that's because you don't consider the Gnostics actual canon. But if you if you just read those Gnostics, like I keep telling you to, <laughs> Liam, how many hard boiled eggs do you think you could eat in a sitting? Say if you're really hungry, five. <laughs> Straight up, I I wouldn't say I know, but I would bet a large amount of money that I could eat five before I started to feel ill. I could probably eat more than that. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but in my brain, I just thought about eating six eggs, and, I, and my brain went, nah, man, nah, that's not a thing. <laughs> Man's got to know his limitations. Over to you, Sarah. A revisit of a beloved classic. Cool Hand Luke, what did you think? Um, First, uh, we made my son watch it last night. Ooh. For the first time, because um, I was going to rewatch it. And then my husband's like, who's probably seen it, you know, 20 times. Sure. He's like, well, I'll come rewatch it with you, but only if it's a family movie. And I'm like, you know, my son is 12. So I'm like, is he really going to want to watch this? You know, he's been good about trying to expand his horizons and not just saw, watch like comic book movies or animated things things like that so he's been good about it and so he's like yeah yeah i'll watch it and so um you know we put it on and and he ended up really liking it but kind of to liam's point where um after he eats the eggs i think it's after he eats the eggs um he's laying on the table and goes into like the crucifix position my kiddo was like oh i i understand that (laughs) and so (laughs) i love that (laughs) <laughs> he, uh, when he was young, for like his first two years, we sent him to Catholic school because he was too young to go to regular school and he was reading it for and I didn't want him to get behind. So sure. I sent him to private school. So he did have, you know, a little bit of education in uh, religion. But yeah, he's like, I-, I-, I get that. And I'm like, good for you, son. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, it's got but, the 12-year-old vote. I wonder how uncomfortable that Lucille scene was, but I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, well, he's seen, he's seen a lot of horror movies at this point, and sure. so he's seen worse. 
Yeah, but I bet. I, I was going to make a joke like uh, he became a man last night, but he's... <laughs> I think you become a man when you eat 50 eggs, right? Like that's the ceremony. Maybe. This is like totally a decide, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I went to go see The Wicker Man uh, a couple years ago at Austin Film Society. And there was a, uh, it was a late show, like 10, 1030. And a man brought like his maybe 11 year old son to that movie. Mm-hmm. And so sitting in the front row, you guys are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're sitting in the front row and a guy got up to introduce it and he looked out and saw the kid and he was like shocked, like literally shocked for a second. Like, why is there a child in here? Anyway, he's like, well, shout out to the dad who brings their son uh, to this movie. And so I always joke that that boy became a man, you know, that right, night. Yeah. because I mean, you know, so anyway, I, mean, I digress. The, I, the first few times I saw Wicker Man was on cable, so I had no idea about the the nude dancing against the wall scene. That was like a revelation when I finally rented it. I was like, wait, what? I always thought of it as like a movie you could show a child because like, except right. for the end where he gets, <laughs> well, except for the end where he gets burnt up though. It's like, eh, it's yeah. fine. It's not that bad. And then I w- finally watched it like the actual version. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. No, did, my did bad. Did you become a man that night, Liam? I mean, I was already a man. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that anyway. movie like The Wicker Man, it's it's less the content within it. It's just that thematically that would be hard for me to grasp. I mean, it was tough for me to grasp when I was like 20 when I saw it. Right. So. <laughs> oh, see, I, I'm already teaching my, my daughter about the old ways. You know, it's, mm, she's got to okay. learn. She's yep. got to learn. I agree. So, Sarah, we've gotten now that, that 12-year-olds, <laughs> 12-year-olds enjoy Cool Hand Luke. 11-year-olds enjoy The Wicker Man. What did you think? <laughs> Of Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And um, I'm guessing most people have probably already watched this movie who are going to listen to this. But it got me at the end. And I ha- yeah. I was like totally crying. Because mm-hmm. even though, you know, he went the way he went out the way he wanted to go out. With a smile on his face. You know, it's still it still really got me. Oh, he had that smile on his face. He sure <laughs> did. <laughs> and George Kennedy is so great. I mean, everyone is at their top form here. I will say that I really love Strother Martin. Yeah. And I kind of wish he was in it more. Mm. But his line, um, you know, the failure to communicate line is like yep. one of the most famous movie quotes of all time. And even my son was like, oh, that's where that's from. So yeah. he yeah. even heard it in, you know, in the ether somewhere. Brother um, Martin's voice, like it's like his voice is so there's just something about it where it cuts through you. And I know he played all sorts of roles, certainly in Westerns and, and things like that. But here, like this is for me, the Strother Martin role. Like he feels like he is absolutely a hundred percent, a real person in this. It just, it, yeah. and, and Hey, I got choked up at the end too. All right. It's, it's a very tragic movie in a lot of ways. It feels very much of its time in, in a lot of ways though. In some ways it feels like, you know, 10 years before the time that it was made, but mm-hmm. uh, just as much, it feels very modern. I think it's a movie that I think people, who don't enjoy older movies or think that they don't enjoy older movies, this is one I think still connects with a lot of people. Maybe it is because it is so cynical, as you mentioned, Liam. <laughs> I, I think that's po- I, I do think that's possible. I think that if I if so if someone was going to watch it who I knew had trouble with older movies, all I would say t- t- in my mind, it spends time at the beginning, kind of establishing things before. Um, the tension r- ramps up a little more that sure. I think there are some audiences and, you know, maybe I'm disrespecting some audiences, but I just knowing people who have trouble with older movies, I, I would just encourage people to stick with it, even if it, they're feeling like it's kind of meandering a little bit. Um, to me, I kind of like that, you know, like mm-hmm. not that I minded when things got more tense, but like, you know them just doing what it is that they do was fine by me actually and i i liked that kind of the the fact that it it starts off in a place where there's less of um, a question about whether he's going to escape or even really i guess if he's going to keep his dignity right uh, sure. and what that means for the prisoners uh, there's a whole chunk of the movie that isn't that and I think for some audiences, unfortunately, they're going to be kind of thinking, when does this thing like get going? 
But for me, man, I I, I do love that. But I I just I just think if if someone is listening who hasn't seen it, I would say like, yo, stick it out. Like, don't give up because you're kind of thinking like, what are we doing here? Because I think without that work of seeing their life together, then the weight of things as it moves forward, especially most importantly, when he comes back and they do break him. If you don't see the way that he has brought life to this Mm -hmm. place where people have been reduced to their most base sort of desires and reactions, then like it doesn't make sense later when they are so hostile towards him. You know, like you need that earlier context or it doesn't make sense. And I think a lot of newer, newer movies, maybe not a lot, but a chunk of them lack the desire to set up those kind of contexts. They just want to have a line that says, but I really care about you. And it's like, look, we said it. So now we can move forward. We don't need to show you. He said it in a line. There's a whole line. We wasted a whole three seconds of him saying that he cared. So therefore, we have to move on. You know, and so I, I just, I, I want to make sure to, to say that. But I do think like, if you do stick with it, there is a lot here. I, I do though think though, Doug, in, in a modern sense, right? Like, in 1967, there's a cynicism to this movie and a and a darkness that I think people felt. In 2022, a lot of people are going to, if they haven't seen it, this is kind of cute, right? Like, yes, it ends in a tragic way, but I mean, the, you know, some of the shit that you can see now, this is kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that kind of sucks. All right. You know, like, it's not, it doesn't probably have the impact, whereas at the time, I'm sure this film landed on some people like a fucking bomb. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Even I, in a year where there were a lot, I mean, again, this was the year of Bonnie and Clyde, so people were yes. used to downbeat endings. But yeah. yeah, I think you're exactly right. It was just, it, it was definitely something in the air. You know, I, I'm glad that you mentioned kind of the structure of it. The structure of this movie feels very familiar in a lot of ways. I mean, it reminds me a lot of, of The Great Escape or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, even The Shawshank Redemption, right? The idea of someone arriving at a location. At first, people are skeptical, and then they integrate with the with the people, and, and then you become, you know, you you uh, learn about everyone in this in this location, this closed in place, and then someone tries to escape, and then the rest of the movie follows suit. I'm always when I watch Kulan Luke, I'm always waiting for that time when he when his mother passes away, and then he starts the escapes, and what that means in the movie because there's so much kind of fun stuff that happens before. There's ups and downs, but it's definitely there's a lot of really kind of fun, you know, uh, community building type stuff. But once once he makes that first escape, you know that it's just going to get darker and darker until it gets. To the end, Sarah. Do you think that uh, audiences who might not enjoy older movies this be a, a one that they'd still? Well, I mean, <laughs> your son is obviously an example of someone that, that could take to it. But yeah, I imagine right. your son has a little bit more exposure to odd movies than 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 your average person on the street. You think this is a movie that connects with audiences in twenty twenty three, twenty twenty two? I, I should so. say. <laughs> <laughs> By the time people listen, it'll probably be twenty twenty three. Yeah. Um, I, I think so. Yeah. Um. To what you were saying um, pr- just before that, though, um, do you think that he would have um, escaped, tried to escape the first time if they hadn't put him in the box? Or do you think he wouldn't even have cared to go to try to go to his mom's funeral? I, I mean, think... he couldn't go because they put him in the box till it was over. But Yeah, I think it was like it was like that double whammy, right? Maybe he would have ran, right? Maybe he would have tried after his mother passed away, just like they said uh, that, they, that people often do. But it was the fact that it was so unfair, right? And he, you know, he, all he does right from the beginning is complain about rules and that, you know, he came back from the Korean War, which was, of course, he was following rules every single day comes back and supposed to be a free man and then there's all these rules and regulations and then he goes to this place and that's the first thing he complains about with George Kennedy is like there's just all I hear are rules and rules but like even when you follow the rules you're fucked even when you don't do anything wrong and I think that was what kind of pushed him over the edge but yeah it's hard to say but it definitely felt like that double whammy was what you know the one thing that was meant to break him from the the wanting to escape is what kind of pushed him to do it yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. All right, now what was your other question? Yes, I think people. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, I, I think people um, can still uh, relate to this one, even though you know, like you were saying, it, it's an. A lot of people see any movie that's like pre at this point. I think pre two thousand people don't want to watch for sure, but anything pre nineteen ninety, it's like no, that's just yeah. old fashioned, old timey. No, but I think that if they expanded, I mean, there's so many good movies, especially in the Mm seventies. 
like this that they would like totally love if they would just give it a chance. So if you haven't seen this, give it a chance. <laughs> I think we're speaking to the choir in this particular case. <laughs> sure. Sarah, we've already mentioned we're going to talk about George Kennedy. Uh, I'm. I, we haven't really talked about Paul Newman in, in any detail. Uh, what are some of the performances that stood out to you in this outside of Strother Martin, uh, who you already mentioned? Anyone else uh, that, that you want to kind of highlight? Um, there's a few, but I will say that how is Joan, Flan- uh, sorry, Joan Van Fleet not nominated for that? I know, I know, right? Talk about the perfect like supporting performance when you come in and just dominate. It was it, um, just watching it again because I, I remembered it being good, but when as it went on, I was like, "Holy shit, she is so good!" I mean, it's it's incredible. So she, she should have been nominated for sure. Um, I think um, I have Anthony Zerber written here because I always remember him from Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Yes, me too. <laughs> See, so. I had to write that down because I was like, yeah, but um, everyone's good. Cause you mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, Dennis Hopper didn't have any lines, but you know, he didn't have to, it was just, just his mannerisms and the way, you know, he moved and just ran around the place. But um, Harry and Stanton was good. Um, even like Ralph Waite, who is um, like a, Pop, uh, Father Walton. I don't know yeah. what his name was in that show. I mean, he didn't really, you didn't really see him much toward the end, but at the beginning, you know, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's uh, Paul Walton. Um, Wayne Rogers is great as the gambler yeah. uh, from um, MASH. He, he was great. Um, I what I like about it, it's like, like some characters get introduced, they fade to the background, and then they come yeah. back later, right? I mean, it's just, it, it is it is the kind of the ensemble where there are certain people who are ranked higher than others, but that's yeah. usually the case. But I mean, I, I just feel like everyone gets a little bit of character, even if it's just their ridiculous names <laughs> that, right. that they are given their, uh, their, uh, um, their nicknames that are, I think, all given by Dragline in this case. How about yourself, Liam? Any performances jump out? I also want to get your take. You were talking about before about you know people talking about Paul Newman and your mother talking about Paul Newman. Do, do you think that this movie shows that he's worthy of his reputation? I mean, I think so. I think it's not an easy performance, right? Because he has this very charming side, but he also clearly is broken like yeah. he's a broken man in some in some sense and he has this desire to kind of uh for a sense of independence to kind of blow things up and to the scene where he kind of you know the, the first time he gets captured and he's rejecting their desire to still give him adulation even though he's been revealed right yeah that's not easy to pull off i think my bias, and granted, I haven't seen enough Paul Newman stuff to really know this. My bias is I wonder if the parts where he's just being the cool of Cool Hand Luke, like, sure. you know, the the sort of sweet, smiling guy that I guess at the time was like one of the sexiest men on earth or some bullshit. Um, he's a handsome man. I don't I don't know. If, I, 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 I'm I, I sorry that did that did not work on you. But those eyes are. They were renowned for a reason. That guy, he is, he's a handsome guy. I mean, I definitely think he's handsome to some extent, but no, knowing the level at which people were like obsessed with this dude, I'm still like, I don't know. Okay, how about this? Stick a sombrero on him. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> Give him a big mustache and put him on a thing of salsa. Now is he handsome? I think the part where he is that guy, that very relaxed kind of like, I'm doing my thing. I feel like that's very natural for him. I feel like that's not him stretching in some sense. That yeah. that all feels like who he is, but that gives that much power. Like the part where he's fucking begging them not to hit him anymore. Yeah, yeah. That could have. E- that's one of a few scenes that could have easily pushed this movie over into like, I don't know, something not too far from camp. You know what I mean? Like, sure. There's absolutely. a. You're being asked to go a lot of places with this character, with these characters really, because uh, at a certain point, their, their admiration of him, it's not a surprise when it turns, right? Because it's fucking irrational and it feels like it's so close to toxic already. And so like when he fails them, it's hard to like still identify with them in any way, but, but it, it all kind of works together. It's, it's really kind of, 
magical in a certain sense, even though, which again, this movie gets so much praise that me being like, oh, no, it's pretty good. It's like kind of like <laughs> fucking ridiculous. But, but I, I you know, and, and there is a, there is, you know, there is a part of me that's kind of cool hand Lukish that wants to be like, yeah, it's pretty good, but I mean, come on. You know, like that's, I want to be that guy. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair. Uh, Cause it is really, it is really good. I, I don't know that it, uh, is is if I'm as in love as as I know some people s- still are with it, but um, I do think that like his performance, it's part, it's still part of the ensemble. Like he's the star, but right, like if you don't believe in this cast of characters, some of whose names you might not even remember, sure. but their faces, right? Like I think that's the thing for me is like. Um, I kind of can remember everyone's face who's in the movie, I think. There's probably a few prisoners on the side that were really in the background. But for the most part, that's a lot of fucking faces. But, like, each of them has some moment that you can kind of remember, you know? And that's hard to do. So that that network has to be there for the film to work, that whole sort of cast of people. But what he needs to do, he fucking does it. And, you know, I am impressed by him from this movie, um, even if I do think like everyone was overestimating his sexiness because it was 1967, so. he's a pretty sexy guy if you ask me. But uh, <laughs> Liam, he's hot. He's hot. He, he's a he's a hot. He was a hot man. Um, you know how I am. Look, Doug. Here it is. I'm yes. only attracted to swarthy whites. I'm not into yes. these straight whites. These well, normal, average. You're you got to look like you're <laughs> you're from a hot place in Europe for me to really be into it. It's got to be well, hot where you're from. You talked about the faces in this movie, Liam, and yeah. there are a lot of faces in this movie, and those faces are usually covered in dirt and mud and grime sure. because right. these are prisoners and they're working on a chain gang, basically. And even though yeah. they're not always chained up, but they're working on the side of the road in that glaring heat. And that's one of the things that I always think about when it comes to this movie is that it's a very hot movie. Even though it's called Cool, Cool is in the title, but it's a hot movie with a lot of sweaty, greasy, dirty men in it. And that's why I wanted to ask the two of you, before we talk about George Kennedy's performance, can you think of a sweatier movie than Cool Hand Luke? Can you think of any sweaty movies? I'm going to start over with you, Sarah. When you think of a sweaty movie, what's a movie that comes to mind? Um, I would say the original Top Gun. Pretty Ooh, sweaty. Very there. sweaty. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say um, a lot of spaghetti westerns, like oh, Good, yes. Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, just a lot of spaghetti westerns. Um. Because you get all those close-ups, too. This movie has a lot of close-ups, too. By yeah. Me. Pretty much any, like, prison movie. Like, um, I really love Escape to Alcatraz. Like, mm-hmm. I saw it at the drive-in when I was a kid, and so I've always been fascinated by that. But I, I feel like people are sweaty there, even though it's San Francisco. Um, and then maybe 300, because everybody is just, like, glistening the entire movie. And That's they're true. almost naked. But, yeah. Yeah. That might be more of an oily movie than a sweaty movie, but I mean, you know, we're just splitting well, hairs, right. splitting splitting the hairs that those people don't have <laughs> on their bodies in that particular movie. Liam, well, you've had a little time to think about it. You are tasked with putting together a sweaty film festival. What's a movie that's going to be on that list? Well, you didn't tell me it was that. <laughs> it's a different question. It's a variation. <laughs> um, Doctor Lamb. Oh, why? Well, I mean, I've seen Doctor Lamb. Uh, there's a certainly a sweaty lead performance in that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's when you said sweaty. I'm just saying, like, when you said sweaty, I wasn't even thinking of a whole cast. I was just thinking of a movie where I was just going, "What is with all this fucking sweat?" <laughs> Doctor Lamb, man, it's just that's that's uh, that's one of those movies where I'm like, "Ugh." Um, what's another sweaty movie? It's gonna be a weird uh, film festival. You start with Doctor Lamb, then Escape from Alcatraz, <laughs> and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. <laughs> I mean, honestly, any of those gross Simon Yam is 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 Simon Yam in the movie? Yes. Is he playing a cop? No. Then it is a sweaty movie. Like I just think that that's <laughs> at least of the ones I've seen. I'm not an expert, but the ones I've seen where he's not playing a cop, he is sweating, and it's gross, and you feel bad that you're watching it. So. Uh, that's sort of the first thing that comes to mind. I guess the other thing would be weirdly a movie that's weirdly sweaty to me. It's weird that my brain just my brain just keeps going to things that don't make any sense. Please, um, hardware. Oh, of course, the Richard Stanley film. Yeah, specifically not um, the main person, but the voice. What is that actor's name? It's something funny like uh, Poots or 
or uh, I forget what it is. There's there's a gentle again. I'm focused on gross gentleman. I guess is what I'm doing here <laughs> because the guy in hardware is so fucking sweaty. Are, are you thinking of William William Hookins? The yeah, of course the the be- beloved character actor William Hookins from Star Wars and Raiders of the Last mm-hmm. Ark and. I'm, I'm sure he's not as sweaty in other movies as he is in hardware. Well, he's but. dead now, so I guess we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> what? I was saying in the movies. I wouldn't <laughs> say in real life. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, you know, it's a sweaty movie is 12 Angry Men. Very sweaty movie. A lot of yeah. oppressive heat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of sweaty men and those pit stains and all that sort of shit. That's kind of what I was getting at. Uh, but, I mean, oh. I think you all... Gave great examples of sweaty men. Uh, something I'm going to think about for the rest of the evening. And when we talk about sweaty men, you can't even you can't even put those two words together without thinking George Kennedy, and specifically Clor- George Kennedy as Dragline in the movie Cool Hand Luke. Very sweaty, hot gentleman himself. He won an Academy Award for it. We've been mentioning it. We've been talking about it. We've been imitating how he sounds in this. I'm going to go over to you, Sarah. What do you think of George Kennedy in this movie? Uh, I, I mean, I don't even know what else there is to say. He's really great. He, I guess he's the more flashier performance than, um, Paul Newman's. Um, but he, I I mean, I don't even have any more words to describe it. He's really great. He deserved his, his award for this. And it proves that he's not just, well, I mean, you know, he is a character actor, but he's still a good actor right and he he gave a fine performance and i i can't fault it a lick not even the accent i'm not even going to complain about it i mean the accent makes it really right that's one of the things like you said it's a bit more of a showy performance certainly but he's also the heart and soul of the movie even though you know i mean at the least at the very least the heart of the movie i mean you could make the case that that paul newman that everyone is kind of relying on him like to the point where when he gets broken by um, by having to dig the ditch and and his time in the box, that when he comes back, you know he's sick of people having to rely on him and lean on him so heavily. But I mean, the it's it's losing Dragline that is the killer, right? Because he's the guy who's always been <laughs> after he beats the shit out of him in the boxing match. He's been his biggest supporter, his biggest promoter, and really they just seem as close as two people could be. You could see when you know when when uh, Luke wants to diverge from him after he escapes the very last time when he wants to go off by himself you can see it's crushing i mean that's such a sad moment in it maybe it's just because he's such a big galoot and he's such a big mug (laughs) just george kennedy's sad face it makes me sad too is what i'm trying to get at liam you're a hard ticket we all we already know that you never wanted to do this podcast you don't care for george kennedy (laughs) you don't like the voice what did you think of his performance in cool handler (laughs) <laughs> you're such a mullet head, Doug. Oh, yeah, I'm being a mullet head. Sounds like you're being a mullet head. <laughs> that, boy, that boy, George Kennedy, did a real good job in that movie. I knew he okay, could now, do it, too. Now it's actually getting offensive in kind of a weird way. So yeah, that's true. No, that's true. <laughs> no, look, 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 Doug. Any Canadian doing an accent is offensive as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, he's great. I mean, I kind of hinted at that earlier, so sorry for the spoiler, y'all. But what? Yeah, I think, I think it is. It, Sarah Jane is right. It's a, it's a much more flashy performance, and I don't want to uh, not acknowledge that I think Paul Newman is doing the sort of lifting that I think is harder and sometimes uh, difficult for people to appreciate. But it doesn't change the fact that this character could be a fucking joke. It could be a cartoon. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. even at the end, when you like you said, he's being crushed. There are a ton of actors who might have gotten cast for this role for other reasons who couldn't have fucking pulled it off, man. Like what George Kennedy showed is like, hey, I'm not just in this role because I'm a giant man, which like might have been what got him in the door. I don't know. Like, I don't know how many <laughs> how many other I don't know how many other character actors were actually descended from the Nephilim. You know, like my man is a literal frost giant. So like I get why physically he makes sense. But he shows that like he I don't know that anyone else would have worked in that role because he has he has to have a certain level of goofiness, a certain level of jolliness, a certain mm-hmm. level of menace, but then also this like heartbreaking naivete at the end mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. then I mean 
Not to be disrespectful, I, I love how you always you always point me out, Doug, as, as the quote-unquote <laughs> religious one, and then I always end up saying things that, like, if anyone listening is actually religious, they'd be really bummed on. But his uh, his uh, good-natured naivete is what makes him the perfect disciple, right? Like, yeah. he makes him the perfect person to tell the story, to continue the legend, because he can just buy in. Like, that. everything about that scene is heartbreaking, and even his utterly futile attempt to murder the man with no eyes yeah right? absolutely it's just as a reminder of how powerless he is and then here he is telling the story about you know luke went out with a smile on his face Spread and that's, the gospel that's true it's not that he's lying but certainly the spin he's giving them sure. isn't clear when he's weeping in the mud you know what i mean like so all that to say um i think it is a pretty impressive turn and I, I wouldn't say I was uh, – I didn't think he had it in him. Like, I knew he had won this Oscar. But I don't think a lot of things we've watched so far have had the nuance that this character has. Sure. Uh, they're great roles, and he's great in them. But this is the this is the, the role where I thought, okay, this man is, is, is not just charismatic. He's talented, which is – those aren't the same things, you know? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, and we mentioned at the beginning, but this is the movie that made George Kennedy's career. Yes. Right? I mean, it was his attention from here. It's funny because we will talk about The Dirty Dozen, you know, it, 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 eventually on this podcast. And he's in that movie as well in a memorable role to a certain extent. But it, it's a very small role because at the time that was the kind of roles he was doing. Yeah. And it was this movie that allowed him, you know, to eventually do something like Airport, which again, that isn't a huge role either, but it is a central role. And another movie that, that kind of... Um, bumped him up to a, a different kind of character actor, a different level at that point. I think it's a great performance. I think it's a terrific movie. I think it is one of those movies of this time period that that marked a sea change in terms of the tone that you saw in a lot of the films and really kind of looked ahead to the movies of the 1970s. I always kind of pair this movie in my brain with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because of its similar th- thematic elements, right? Just the idea of someone who just cannot stand authority. In that case, Jack Nicholson's performance is a little more showy than, than Paul Newman's hair, but I think they pair very well together. But the problem with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, no George Kennedy. A, a true crime. A true crime, and he could have, right? He was, uh, wasn't too busy doing the human factor that he couldn't pop over to do a spot. In, <laughs> I mean, imagine him as Nurse Ratchet, right? Like... <laughs> I am imagining it, and I'm never going to stop. <laughs> On the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we're, we're moving right along with some high-level, high-production-value George Kennedy performances. We're going to be talking about 1974's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, directed by Michael Cimino, with a all-star cast, including, of course, Clint Eastwood, Jeff Bridges, and many more. This is actually another really packed ensemble cast. I have to admit right up front, I have not seen this movie previously. I've always wanted to. Uh, I've always been fascinated uh, with this time period in Clint Eastwood's career, uh, but there's a couple of holes in it. I've mostly just seen his westerns, so this is one I'm very excited about. How about yourself, Liam? Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I mean, George Kennedy's in it, so that's cool. That's cool. See, you're on board already with the George Kennedy train. <laughs> All it took was the entirety of the year 2022. Uh, of course, by the way, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot and our episode of George Kennedy's My Co-Pilot, that will be appearing early in 2023. Sarah, how about yourself? Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, excited? I have never seen it either, so I think that'll be a, probably the first time where we all haven't seen the movie. Maybe. Maybe. Could be. Uh, that does sound right. So, hey, that's exciting. Maybe we'll all love it. Maybe we'll all hate it. Maybe there'll be a split. Maybe it'll be the end of the podcast. But we won't be able to know that up until the year 2023. Sarah, thank you so much for talking once again about the great George Kennedy and one of his finest performances. I'm glad you gave me a little backup here against old uh, Sourpuss <laughs> Liam. Um, and it's always good to it's always good to to pile on is what I like to say, right, Liam? You, what one time you say you don't want to fuck Paul Newman, and they've ruined the whole podcast. You're a bit of a dunderhead over there, Liam. <laughs> right? You don't know what you're saying, boy. Anyway, Sarah, if people want to check out your work uh, online or elsewhere, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, can I just say one thing? And I forgot Please. to say this during Absolutely. the thing. I'm so sorry. Because you went, you kind of brushed over Lalo Schifrin. Yes. So quick that I didn't get to interject. When I was watching uh, Cool Hand Luke last night, the music came on and I thought, holy shit, 
that's the eyewitness news theme. That's because right. Because when man. I grew up, I mean, I don't remember it being the ABC like evening news theme, but it for sure was, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and for sure it was the local uh, ABC stations music. And so I think AB, I mean, eyewitness news, I think and for sure was in New York. Anyway, so I was like, oh, wow. So anyway. Just so, just so we're not just talking about it, I'm going to play a little bit of that music right now. Okay. Here exactly. Yeah, in, in my brain, of course, it defaulted to, oh, that's the news theme. I didn't realize, of course. And of course, it's just a piece of music in Cool Hand Luke. It's only right. because of its use for like 50 years that we all connected with the news. It actually is a little distracting now when you see that part in the movie. Yeah, it's just like... It was. <laughs> But anyway, Sarah, where can people find your work? Sorry. Um, it's okay. I am a uh, film critic for the Austin Chronicle. So you can uh, just fire up their austinchronicle.com and you can find a bunch of reviews there. My most recent one is uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas and um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which, by the way, is delightful. Take your children. Um, Everyone, everyone's oh, saying it's good. It's, 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 people are raving about it. I went in thinking, oh, because I always get like those kind of assignments because no one else wants them. And every time I go in thinking, oh, this movie's going to suck, like the bad guys or whatever. And it was delightful and I loved it. All right. Also, I have a uh, YouTube channel with my husband called The White Size of Chinatown, where we bring you rare, out of print and hard to find uh, paramedia from around the world. If you can't find it, look on our channel and maybe what you're looking for is right there. <laughs> well, of course, link all of those in the show notes. Liam O'Donnell, now that you are well and you're putting out all this content into the world, I know as of the recording of this recent Cinepunks episode, which is a holiday focus, where can people check that out in your other work? Uh, they can, of course, go to Cinepunks.com. That's C-A-N-E-P-U-N-X uh, for, you know, the latest episodes of this show, new episodes of Cinepunks and Horror Business. We also have a Patreon-exclusive show called Lunch with Liam. Uh, I'm amazed anybody wants to listen to it, but apparently they do. So uh, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. And, of course, you can follow Cinepunks on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, I guess that's it. Uh, and it's <laughs> C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, we also have a Discord server, but I'm not going to just straight up shout out the link for that. If you want to be on the Discord with us, just shoot us a message and we'll send you the link and it'll be cool and we'll have fun and you'll love it. Uh, of course, Doug, you know, people might want to hear some of the other topics we do on Cinema Smorgasbord. The best place to find the archive is to head over to cinemasmorgasbord.com where uh, you know all the topics we cover exist, whether that's our show about Carol Kane or our show about Jackie Chan or our uh, limited series exploring um, the films of John Singleton. Uh, we got a lot of stuff over there that people should check out. It's really great. Of course, yes, you can find Cinema Smorgasbord every Monday. Uh, you can subscribe both on Cinepunks and over at cinemasmorgasbord.com and check out the entire George Kennedy is My Co-Pilot archive over there as well. Check them all out. Leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice or leave us some feedback on the, the various social media in which you can find us, including on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now, we need to take a little long-deserved break. We need to take a little break from the podcasting game. We're going to be back in 2023 with Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Good night, everyone. Night-night. Night-night.